I want to invite you to open to the book of Malachi. Once again, we're in this last book of the Old Testament. Very easy to find. Some of them are not so easy. This one's easy. Find Matthew, take a left. You'll find Malachi. And we are working through this book, discussing the areas of our lives where we can either get better or we can get bitter. Last week, we talked about a very sensitive subject. We talked about single dating relationships. We talked about marriage. We talked about what God's trying to do in your marriage. We talked about divorce. And, and we, we, we dealt with a sensitive subject. We had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun anyway. And we dealt with that subject, and I know that the Lord spoke, and, and I said to you that that was probably the most sensitive subject we were going to talk about. But today, I wish, I wish we could say that it's going to get easier, but it's not necessarily going to get that much easier of a subject. But I believe that this subject is going to get really helpful. It's going to be really helpful for you. Christian, uh, going to be really helpful for you. Non-Christian, I really hope you see something in a totally different light. First time at church in a long time, I hope that you hear something that you've never heard before from the Bible, because what I believe that's going to share today, what I'm going to share today, I hope and I trust that your eyes are going to be open and realize what the Bible's all about. So we're talking about a subject that if, if we were to be really honest, it's a formative subject for our belief system. Whether you're here today and you're Christian, non-Christian, atheist, Muslim, Jew, I don't, you know, wherever you come from, whatever faith faith you come out of or were raised in or whatever, I think, it's not a stretch to say this, but I think that how you question and approach this subject has formed that belief system in your life. And either it's formed it or it's caused you to question it. And today we're looking at a very difficult subject, and the subject is the justice of God. The justice of God. How many of you have ever wrestled with this idea of justice? Like, like we, we know that wrongdoers should pay, and, and we know that good people should be you know, rewarded with good things, and, and that comes from within us. I mean, it's, it's like innate to our existence. We're born with this demand for justice. You don't even have to teach it to children. I have three children, and one of their favorite lines is, that's not fair. And we have never taught them to say that. We never sat them down and said, okay, now, when we're punishing you and we're not punishing them, what you need to say to us is, that's not fair. That conversation never took place, and yet they say it all the time. Because we want Justice, we want life to be fair. It's even in our Pledge of Allegiance. We put that part up here on the screen, the title of the message. And justice for all. We have it in our hearts. We have it in our minds. We, it's, it's built into our DNA. And that's where the people of Malachi are here in chapter 2. I'm going to read this passage. We're going to read it in total. And then we're going to talk about it. So in joining me in reading Malachi chapter 2, would you stand with me, everybody in this room? Let's stand together for the reading of God's word, and let's look at what it has to say. 
Verse 17 of chapter 2, and I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. Don't uh, Just ignore the chapter division because chapter 3 comes into place here in a really bad place, and that was added in the 1300s. It's not in the original text. And also, ignore these little bolded header, headers. These are not the Bible. Those are just what people put on top of the Scripture to give you an idea of what's being, what being talked about. So ignore those as we read together. Verse 17, chapter 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? There it is. There's the question. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment." I will be a swift witness. Everybody say that word with me. Witness. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may we hear you. May we respond in our hearts and in our minds to what you say. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And most importantly, let all of us help all of us here in this place. Help us to see Jesus. In his name we pray. And everybody said a big amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Justice, justice, I'm gonna ask that you take out your notes and some of you don't take notes, so I'm gonna show you how to do it. You find this bulletin and then you open the bulletin and there's the note page right there. I'm just kidding with you. All right, take out your notes. I wanna share three big ideas in just a moment, but we're talking about justice. We're talking about the fact that we wrestle with this idea that, that wrongdoers sometimes get away with wrongdoing and good people sometimes suffer. And we say, it's not fair. That's where Malachi's audience is. It's not fair. Now, just a quick recap about where in the history of the Bible Malachi's people fit. You remember that God starts this family with a guy named Abraham, blesses them like crazy, his, his descendants multiply, they become this incredible nation under a guy named David, under a guy named Solomon. They're this, empower, this, this powerful, enormous kingdom, and then they start sinning like crazy. They start just disobeying God, and they just descend into immorality, and then God sends them into exile to the Babylonians and to the Assyrians, and he punishes his people. And then, in his mercy, 70 years later, he brings them out of Babylon and replants them in the city of David, Jerusalem, and gives them back their, their, their freedom to, to an extent. And so what has happened is these Jews have come back to the land. They have traveled, listen, they have traveled 800 miles across the world to repopulate in the city of Jerusalem. They have rebuilt the temple. 
God's temple where he met with, uh, you know, the high priest. They've done that. They have reinstituted the Passover. They have reinstituted the sacrificial system. They have, and listen, they have done everything that they thought they should do. But God is not blessing them. And they didn't believe God was being fair. They was like, God, we've done our part. You haven't done yours. We go to church. We do the things. We're, we're bringing our offerings. We're doing our deal. We built the temple. We did all that you said to do. Way back in Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those passages, we fulfilled them. Now, where are you? Because in their context, their economy is tanking. Their crops are failing. And on top of everything else, they have this foreign nation, Persia, that is still like controlling things. Like they give them limited freedom and they don't, they don't want limited freedom. They want total sovereignty and they don't like it. They said, we used to have sovereignty when we had the temple before and now we're back to having the temple. There's no sovereignty. And so they're kind of like, they're kind of taking digs at God. They're kind of doing the, the, two, the, the four-year-old kid. That's not fair. And so God says, you have wearied me with these words. And once again, they're totally oblivious. They're like, how? How have we wearied God? We don't see it. We think we're doing good. And then he says, because you keep saying two things, two things you keep saying. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in, and the Hebrew emphasizes this word right here, and he delights in them. It's like the child who says, they never get punished, them. Being total kids here, and they're just like saying, God, um, we're doing what's right, we're doing what's good, and you're not blessing us. The Persians don't care about you, the Persians don't serve you, and you're blessing them. So here's what they were saying. Obviously, God likes evil people. That's what they were doing. And, and we do this, and we do this. We say it like this. Why, God, is it so hard for me and so easy for them? Why, God, didn't you spare me what I went through? You knew what they were going to do to me, and you still let me experience it. Why are you so unfair? And this is the question. Where is the God of justice? I mean, you don't have to be watching the news for more than five minutes before you're asking that question. Like you're just watching these beheadings, you're watching ISIS, you're watching the news, and it's just like, ugh, that's just, ugh. And, and why, God, why do you let that happen? Where are you? And if you have ever had those questions, I got news for you, you're in good company. Because they asked it, I've asked it, and a guy in the Bible, who we call him the quintessential suffering man, asked this question of God too. His name was Job. Y'all heard of Job? Well, Job has this total question for God, same exact question in Job 21. Look what he says. He says, why do the wicked prosper, growing old and powerful? They live to see their children grow up and settle down, and they enjoy their grandchildren. It's not fair. Their homes are safe from every fear, and God does not punish them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows bear calves and never miscarry. Have you ever asked God about that concerning your neighbor? Why do their bulls always give birth? Uh, no, 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 no. Let's modify. Let's, let's make it contemporary. Their financial portfolios always grow. 
right? Their kids go to Yale, go to Harvard. They don't care about you. I go to Waters Church. I give my money. I listen to Pastor Tim yell at me for 40 minutes every week. I'm doing what's right. I should be blessed. But you seem to care more about people who don't go to church and don't do what I do. And Job goes on. They spend their days in prosperity. Then they go down to the grave in peace. (laughs) Job is so funny. He's like, they not only live well, they die well. (laughs) And yet they say to God, go away. We want no part of you in your ways. Come on, somebody. The Bible is relevant for today. We have all felt this is a 2,000-year-old text, and it's just as real today as it was back then. Where is the God of justice? We want it, and we don't see it, and we get mad and frustrated. And this is why I say, this is why I say most of you are basing your belief system on your idea or you're wrestling it out with justice. When you have doubts, if you're honest Christians, if you're honest, you have your biggest doubts when you see the biggest injustices. And and non-Christians who are here, and I hope you're here, I'm glad that you're here, you might not believe in God because you see injustice. Where is the God of justice? So I got got six points for you today. You're getting a double message, hallelujah. Uh, But we're going to talk three ideas, three big ideas about justice, and these are not necessarily from the Bible, but these these are all... Uh, points I think we can all agree with about justice. Point number one, if you're taking notes, we know justice must be done. We all know justice must be done. Again, we're born with it. That's not fair as kids. When we grow older, we, get teen, we become teenagers. We say things like this to our parents. But John's parents are letting him go to the party. What is that? I want fairness. I want justice, right? Uh, but I studied hard, and the teacher didn't do what the teacher should have done. Or I applied for the job, and I should have gotten the job. Fairness, justice, and we want justice, and we are born with it. And if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me that everybody in this planet wants justice, I have a project for you. Go home today, knock on your neighbor's door. When he opens the door, punch him in the face. Okay, just just see what happens. His eyes will go red, and he will probably demand instant justice. We're born with it. We want it. Okay, so it's, it's something that we need. It's something that we long for. You know, a couple of years ago, my wife came down with the 24-hour flu, you know that 24-hour flu deal where basically everything that went in you comes out of you. <laughs> and it doesn't matter where it's coming from, it just comes out, right? So my, my wife got it, and she was about 12 hours in, because it's 24 hours, we all know this, right? And she was pregnant with our son, Connor. This was about 10 years ago. And she was pregnant with Connor, and she was really getting dehydrated, and it was Monday night, and the Patriots were on. <laughs> okay, you can see where my life is about to head, right? And she says to me, right about kickoff, Tim... I need you to bring me to the emergency room. And I'm like, oh, really? Right now? I'm like, it's only the 24-hour flu. You're 12 hours in. You're halfway there. Just, just deal with it. She's like, get in the car. I'm like, all right. So, you know, I'm you know, just mad the whole way there. And I'm just being a total jerk. You know, I don't, I don't listen to my messages. I just preach them. And anyway. Um, <laughs> 
No, I'm much more sanctified since those days, but I'm just mad, and, 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 I, and I'm just being a jerk to her, and, and she turns to me, and she says, I hope you get this. <laughs> I kid you not, we register into the emergency room, she's sitting in the waiting room, and 10 minutes into our wait, all of a sudden, my stomach starts going, and for the next 24 hours, I was bowing to the porcelain gods and just everything that was in me was coming out of me. And she was just loving that moment. And I was in the bathroom doing my deal. And you know what she had the audacity to do? She closed the bathroom door. She went into her bedroom. She closed the door, locked it, and didn't let me in. And the next morning, I wake up and I'm just like, Ugh. Uh, that was awful. That was awful. And she's all recovered now because she's 12 hours ahead of me. And she's like, sweet justice. <laughs> we want justice. It's why some of you people, like me, you like Batman. How many love Batman? Like the Christian Bale Batman. I thought Christian Bale knocked that part out of the park. I'm a little worried about George Clooney. George, I mean, not George Clooney. What's his name? Who's doing it? Ben Affleck, yeah, Benifer. Okay, well, I'm a little bit afraid of Benifer being Batman because he's kind of girly man. But anyway, um, I love Batman because Batman is vigilante justice, right? Take the law into your own hands. Forget Harvey Dent, forget the justice system, just punch the Joker out quickly. And, 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 and this is why some of you like Batman. This is why some of you heathens like Dexter. You know what I'm talking about, Dexter fans. Come on. You're in church. Don't lie. You like him because he finds the serial killers and he kills them. And he does it so disgusting. But while you're watching it, you're like, yes. He's doing something horrible and you're happy about it. You're sick. You need Jesus. Okay. Uh, this is... This is what we want. We want justice. We want wrongs to be made right, and we want injustices paid for. My wife and I love a show called uh, 2020. I, I, I was raised on 2020. How many remember the days of Hugh Downs and Bawa Waltas? And uh, we used to watch it every Friday with my family, and now today me and my wife watch it. Life has come full circle. And we watch it every single Friday, and they always do these, these justice pieces. That's really what they are. They're just justice pieces every once in a while about a court case. And and we were watching one a couple of weeks ago. Man, I'll tell you, it was hard. Two 12-year-old girls invite their 12-year-old friend over to their house to kill her. And they almost kill her in her sleep, and then they almost kill her at the public restroom, and then they bring her out into the woods, and they stab the girl 19 times and leave her for dead. My wife and I are watching it in stunned silence. And they keep showing the pictures of the two girls on the television, and you're just, ah, like that's all you can do. You can't say anything. Just, what do you do? Like your heart says, justice, they should pay for life, done. And, 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 then, and then you think about it and you say, but they're 12. They're 12-year-old girls. I have a 12-year-old girl. Well, she's 13 now, but I know if I was the parents, what would I want? If I was the one, and thank God the victim survived barely, but if I'm there, her parent, what do I want? I want justice, but what is justice there? I don't know. It's hard to be God. So number two in your notes for justice, big idea, we don't do justice very well. 
we just wrestle with it. I mean, we've got the greatest justice system, I think, the world has ever seen. Uh, You know, you have your rights, you have uh, the right to a fair trial, a jury of your peers, you have the right to remain silent, all those kind of things that other nations have never heard of. And still we get it wrong. Still we get it wrong. 31 years, a guy I read about, a North Carolina gentleman, a couple weeks ago, about a month ago now, he was released on newfound evidence from death row in North Carolina. He spent 31 years on death row, never knowing if he was going to die for something he never did. And I hate to say this, but it's true, and I can't relate to this, but he was black, and it was in the South, and you know the deal. Ferguson and these problems that we see, it's, we, we think it's fair, it's not fair, and we don't do it very well. And so we identify certain people, we say, that must be a criminal. Nope, must be a criminal. On looks, as badly as we want justice, if everybody was honest there today, you'd say, ah, it's hard. We're not always getting it right. That's why I I would suggest to you that before you blame God for the inequities that you see in life and in the world, just remember those 12-year-old girls and remember that sometimes the right call is excruciatingly difficult and most of us have no clue what to do. I don't want to be, I don't want to be in charge of judging those girls on judgment day because I don't know what should be done. I honestly don't. I honestly don't. So we don't do justice very well. Number three in your notes, if you're taking notes, uh, the last thing that I want to say is um, we don't want justice done to us. Like we say in our pledge, justice for all. Notice that it's not justice to all. Because as bad as we want it, we all really uh, would rather avoid it for our lives. Okay, real, real quick, Real quick, I know that most of you have gotten away with some stuff you should have paid for. I know I have. Real quick survey of the audience. Raise your hand. You're in church. Don't lie. Raise your hand today if you've ever been pulled over for speeding. Oh, you need Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, put your hands back down. Okay, those of you who have been pulled over for Jesus, raise your hand. Pulled over for Jesus. Pulled over for speeding. If you've ever been pulled over for speeding, raise your hand if the cop who pulled you over ever let you off. <laughs> Almost all of you. Okay. Do you know what that's called? That's called injustice. That's not mercy. Let's not talk about mercy. You got away with speeding, and the cop who pulled you over had every right to write you up and cause you to pay, and he didn't. It's injustice. You owe the state some money. I'm going to call after this service. Got a bunch of lawbreakers in this house. But, but let me ask you something, those of you who got away with it, and when he let you off, did any of, how many of you felt good about it? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, don't tell me you're like thanking God. You're thanking God, you're singing praise, you're like hallelujah. The whole way, because you just got away with it. None of you were like, man, I feel bad about that. Maybe, maybe when I get home, I should just send the state some money and just, 
just because, you know, I feel bad. No. Do you know what that is? We don't want justice done to us. Do you know what trips us up about injustice and complaining about injustice? Do you know what trips us up? Our own sin. Uh, Because if you're like me, it's easy for me to complain about people who sin differently than me. Very easy. Um, And so when I see them sin in a way that I'm not tempted, I I got plenty of advice I'm like an expert. <laughs> I'm like, the reason why you do that is because blah, 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 blah. Or you should do this, or you should try this, or blah, blah, blah. I have plenty of advice for people who don't sin in the way that I sin. Then when I look at my sin, I don't have advice, I have excuses. <laughs> and, and it's funny because we even have different words for their sin and our sin. Their sin is sin. It's unrighteousness, it's evil, it's wickedness, it's injustice. If I'm feeling lucky, I'm going to throw out the whole abomination word at you. <laughs> My sin, different words. I made some few mistakes. I got a few issues. Right? Come on. The Lord's not done with me yet. We even spiritualize it. Come on. We do. We're like, oh, I know the Lord is working on me. And, and, and so what trips us up in our desire for justice is our own sin, which causes injustice. And I look at my life and I look at some of the things that I've done to people, and I, I'm just so ashamed to this day about some of the stuff. And that's the stuff that I know. <laughs> and so as badly as we need just uh, as badly as we need justice and as badly as we do it, as we try to make it happen, but it doesn't always work, and as much as we don't want it to done, guess what we have here, friends, in our, third, in our three first points? Um, we got a dilemma. We got a dilemma. Uh, let me just go back to this real quick. We don't want injustice to us. God says, I'm going to come. You want me to come, and he will, I'm going to send my messenger. He'll prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And then he says, but who can endure and who can stand? You want justice? Okay, but what if, what if you, uh, what if God chooses you first? Let's, let's bring justice to the world, starting with you. Any volunteers? Okay, that is what Malachi is saying. So here's the dilemma. We know it must be done. We don't do it very well, and we don't want it done to us. So the question is, what's the answer to a world that's filled with injustice, that doesn't get it right a lot of the time, and that to truly get it right means everybody gets judged exactly according to to what they should have been judged. Because nobody's gonna volunteer for that and we all struggle with it. What's the answer? Okay, I wanna tell you what the answer is. Malachi chapter three, verse one. Malachi chapter three, verse one. God's answer to injustice, if you're taking notes, is Jesus. God's answer to injustice is Jesus. Because right after they say, where is the God of justice? Verse one of three, he says, and the Lord whom you seek will come. He's coming. So 
three big points about justice. Now, three big points about Jesus. When Jesus comes, here's what Malachi says is going to happen. Number one, Jesus, if you're taking notes, either hardens us or humbles us. Jesus is the dividing line of human history. If you read the Gospels, nobody walks away from Jesus indifferent. Whenever anybody meets him, they either love him or they hate him. It's an amazing thing. He was completely perfect. And and you either loved it or you hated it. This is why Jesus is the dividing line of human history. Human history revolves around the birth of Jesus Christ, B.C. and A.D. As much as the public school system doesn't want to be Christian, every time they write the date down, they're acknowledging that Jesus is the one around whom history revolves. He's the dividing line. You can't get away from it. We don't do it with Muhammad. It's not... not, B, B, M, and A, M, or whatever. It's, it's Jesus. He's the dividing line, and he does two things. Only two things. He either hardens or humbles. It took me a while to see this, but verse two, there's two questions for two different kinds of people. Two questions for two different kinds of people. First question, who can endure the day of his coming? Which Malachi is saying this, that for some people, Jesus is so terrifying that he will, they will not last Jesus is so terrifying, they will not last. And, it, and it's true, because when he shows up, when he shows up, the religious leaders are scared to death. And if you read it in John, I think it's John 7 or something like that, where they actually say, if we don't do something with this guy, the Romans will come in and they will take away our nation and our temple. They're scared of him. They're terrified. And they nail him to a cross. And they didn't last. They didn't last. And then this question, the second question, who can stand when he appears? This word stand in the Hebrew means stand. <laughs> okay, it's literally just stand. Because this is a different group of people. This is a different group of people. That when Jesus shows up, people who are there are unable to stand. If you read your Bible, you'll find this out. There's several characters in the Bible where God shows up either pre-incarnate in the Old Testament or post-incarnate after the New Testament, and in his glorified, exalted state, when he comes, people eat the dust. They just fall on their faces. I want to run down the list of people who did that in the Bible, because there's several of them. Exodus 3, Moses does it. Joshua chapter 5, Joshua does it. The angel of the Lord shows up, Joshua eats dirt. Can't stand in the presence of God. Uh, Trying to go in order now. Um, Isaiah does it in Isaiah chapter six. And that's actually, that's a fun one because Isaiah, the first six chapters of, the first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is like, woe to you people who build house to house and add land to land. And woe to you people who do injustice. And woe to you drunkards. And woe to you wine bibbers. And woe to you all you evil people. And then in Isaiah chapter six, the Lord shows up, God incarnate there before Isaiah in the temple. And he says these words, woe is me. Game changer. Hard to judge other people's sin when God's around. And then Ezekiel does. Ezekiel bites the dust in Ezekiel chapter 1. And then Daniel does in Daniel chapter 10. 
And you get to the New Testament and Jesus shows up on a seaside with a guy named Peter and Peter goes and he falls on his feet and he says, just depart from me, Lord, because I am a man of iniquity. Just get away from me. And so Peter does. And then in the end of your Bible, in Revelation chapter one, verse 17, um, John, the apostle, sees Jesus in his glorified, exalted state and he writes down these words, when I saw him, I fell on my face as though dead. Who can stand? Some people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to explain myself to God. Really? Have you read his bestseller? Because the people who wrote it couldn't stand before him. Did you see the common theme of the people I listed to you? Isaiah has a book in the Bible. Ezekiel, book in the Bible. Daniel, book in the Bible. Peter, book in the Bible. Uh, John, like four books in the Bible. Who can endure? The the, the point I'm making is if if you get hardened by Jesus, you're not going to last. But if you fall on your face, you're going to leave a legacy behind you of people who will say, you had it right. This is why we name our kids Peter and John and Isaiah and Joshua and not Herod, <laughs> Pilate, Caiaphas, any Caiaphases in the house, right? They could not endure. Because when he shows up, you don't leave indifferent. You leave either hardened or humbled. <laughs> you know when you have a conversation about God with people who don't come to your church? And the conversation goes one of two ways. Like, we talk about God all day. Oh, yeah, God. Yes, God. God. Oh, of course, God. Of course, yes, God. God, God. God's cool. Love God. Yeah. Then you say, well, Jesus. Then it's like, mm, oh, 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 oh. It's like, you know, you just took the wind out of their sails or something. Let's not get fanatical, right? Because he is the dividing line. And that conversation either goes really well because you find a brother in Christ and you're like, yeah, brother in Christ, fist bump for Jesus. <laughs> or... You find somebody who's not really a believer, and it goes awkward. He either hardens or he humbles. Which one of you? Which one are you? When you hear Jesus, hardened or humbled? Number two, Jesus purifies, prepares, and restores. Jesus purifies, prepares, and restores. Look at what Malachi describes him like. A refiner's fire and fuller's soap. Let me talk to you about these two word pictures that Malachi presents here in chapter, uh, in verse two. Refiner's fire, he's talking about a silversmith. And what a silversmith does with raw material to make silver, silver, he takes raw material, he puts it into a cauldron, he puts the cauldron in the fire, and then he cranks the heat up. And, and today they do this by machine, so, but in the olden days it was, a, it was a silversmith. And so he cranks the heat, and what happens is as the raw material gets hot and agitated, all the impurities float to the top. And when he sees the impurities float to the top, he takes his knife and he scrapes off the layer of impurities. And then he heats it up again and more impurities come to the top, scrapes it again and more and scrapes it again. And, and silversmiths will tell you this, that the, pro, the, the process is they keep their eye on that material the whole time. They can't look away. And they also tell you this, they don't leave it in the fire for one second longer than is necessary or they ruin the material. And the third thing that they say is, 
They know the material is done when they pull it out of the fire and they can see their face reflected back to them. Let me say it another way. When they see their image reflected back to them, how were we made? We were made in the image of God. And sin comes and mars that image, and all the impurities get in, some from our parents, some from our friends, and just most of it just from us. We're marred, we're broken, we're all born wrong, we're all born wrong. And God in Christ, if you, if you humble yourself and you bow and you don't get hardened, it might not get easier for you. <laughs> it might get hotter for you. That's why when you put your hand up and you come to Christ here at Water Church, some of you say, my oh, life was so much easier before. What's happened? You're in the fire. Some of you, it's the relationships you have. It's just heating up. The job you have, the issues you have, the financial strain you have, just God heating up. And how many know this? When you get hot, the impurities come to the top. Come on, somebody. Don't be too sanctified for me now. You either swear or you do the Christian swear. Right? What's the Christian swears? Shoot. Crap. You're saying the same thing, you just change it a few letters. Let's not be so holy. And all the impurities, in it. and when, when, when we get mad and we get frustrated and irritable, that's just God kind of just saying, that's you. Now let me scrape it off of you so that I can get my image back into you. And when people see you, they won't see you. They will see Jesus. And then fuller soap. I want to talk about this because it's just as good. You know what a fuller soap uh, is an ancient material, and it was, it was a lot like bleach. It was a specialty soap. Nobody baths with bleach, right? You bath with regular mild soap. But when you're in trouble, you have a rash, sometimes you bath in bleach. This is a special soap. It's an, it's an alkaline. And uh, what, what they would do, the fuller would take fabric, and because in the in the ancient world, sometimes fabric would get dried out and stiff as soon as it was made, so they would take it and put it in the fuller soap, and they would shake it up in that fuller soap, and three things this fuller so- the fuller soap does, three things. Number one, it breaks up the stiff materials. Number two, it makes the fabric smooth and consistent, because in the ancient world, you got to think about it, no permanent press, no cotton, you know, full-length cotton stuff, so it makes it, it makes it consistent fabric, and then the third thing that it does is it breaks up all the materials, and it makes the fabric fuller and more comfortable to wear. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. He sticks us in the holy bleach, and he shakes us around, and he beats all that junk out of us so that we're not so stiff, so moody, so irritable, so inconsistent. Oh, when, when, when we're up here on Monday and down here on Tuesday, do you know what that is? That's not irritableness. That's just inconsistency. When, when your happiness is based on your circumstances, do you know what that is? That's just inconsistency. Because what God is trying to get into you is consistent. No matter what happens, come hell or high water, I'm still going to believe in Jesus. No matter who leaves me, no matter who comes to me, no matter who rejects me, I'm still going to have my faith in the God who never leaves me. That's consistency. That's what Paul says. 
In Philippians, in Philippians chapter four, that's when he says, I've learned the secret to being content no matter what, whether with much or with nothing. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's consistency. And that's what God's trying to do. If you humble yourself, that's what he promises to do. Is it easy? No. But it's good. And it gets easier because you get a little bit fluffier <laughs> and a little fuller. And then he says, and then the offerings of Jude and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord in the days, as in the days of former years. Here's what he's doing. He's making them holy. He's making you holy. Can we talk about holiness for just one second, for about one minute? Holiness is not righteousness. We, we think that they're the same. They're not the same. Righteousness is doing what is right. Yes. Holiness, that's not what holiness is. Holiness in the Bible is setting something aside. It's separating something for special use. That's what holiness is. You see, I know this because in the Old Testament, in the temple, they called pots holy, kettles holy, shovels holy, because they were used in the temple. What does that mean? A pot can't sin, and a pot can't do what is right either, right? But a kettle can't sin. But you can set that kettle or that pot or that shovel aside for the temple to be used for special purposes. That's what God's trying to do with you, setting you aside turning up the heat, cutting things away. He's preparing you for what he has prepared for you to do. Hallelujah, that's wonderful. That was really good preaching and barely any of you said amen. Okay, Uh, we'll just move on. No, 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 I'm just playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. But that's why he says, he says that after this process, then the offering, my life, living offering, Romans chapter 12, living offering, acceptable and what? Pleasing to the Lord. Romans chapter 12. Finally, lastly, in in your notes, um, Jesus bears the cost of our justice before God. He, He bears the cost of our justice before God. Now, verses five and six are very confusing. It... I had to read them all week. I was like, what the heck are you saying here, God? And here's what I realized. It says, when when the Lord comes and Jesus comes, it says, then I will draw near to you for, everybody say the word? Judgment. So I'm going to come. Judgment's going to come when I come. I'm going to pay back every evil deed. I'm going to make all the injustices right. Judgment will come when I show up. Now, before you say amen, the very next line is, I will be a swift, what's the word? Witness. Well, which is it, God? Are you going to be a judge or are you going to be a witness? And when Jesus shows up, he is a witness against the sorcerers, adulterers, liars, all the people that think they're right and they're not. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to bear witness to the fact that you are not nearly as holy and righteous as you think you are. And that's exactly what Jesus does. If you read the Bible, if you read the book of Matthew, you will see that he comes to the temple in Matthew 21. And from Matthew 21 to Matthew 25, Jesus preaches some of his strongest messages. What's he doing? He's bearing witness. 
and he challenges all the religious leaders and all the priests and all the leaders and all, all the people, and he just kind of shows them just how unrighteous they really are, just how worthy of punishment. Matthew 23, horrible passage to read. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Just levels them. He's a witness. But he doesn't judge. He doesn't, he doesn't do what we think God should do. He doesn't wipe them out in Matthew 26, does he? He doesn't bring fire from heaven like Elijah. Come on, come, consume them. Now, God, do it. What does he do in Matthew 26? He gets arrested. He gives himself away. Gets beaten, whipped, and nailed to a cross. This is how the judgment of God comes to the world in Jesus. He witnesses against our unrighteousness, and then in grace, he bears the judgment himself. Oh, that's a game changer. No other religion, no other faith system tells you this. It's why I'm a Christian. Because our God knows we can't do it. And in grace, does it for us. And then takes our punishment upon himself and buries our sins in the grave and rises for our justification and sits at the right-hand side of God the Father and intercedes for us. I got a friend in heaven, and his name is Jesus, and I'm so happy. I'm so happy. That's why Isaiah, Isaiah says, Isaiah says he was, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was punished so that we would have peace and by his Stripes, we are, what? Healed. Oh, the great exchange. He was the witness, but he's also the judgment. He took it. And that's why he says in verse six, that's why you gotta read right into verse six. He says, for I, the Lord, don't change. That's why you're not consumed. Because you should be. <laughs> Jesus was consumed for you. And the grave tried to swallow him and couldn't hold him and he beat death, and he beat sin, and he beat hell. For any who would not harden their heart, but come to him. And Paul impacts us in the, in the book of Romans. He says, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe, when they believe what I'm telling you. This is how you're made right with God. Not by going to church and doing the right thing and being nice to your neighbor. That's not gonna make you right. When they believe that Jesus did this, shedding his blood, this sacrifice shows that God is being, what's this word? There, there it is. And he held back, and he didn't punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And so I have one final question for everybody in this room, believer, unbeliever, whatever. Three big points about justice. We don't get it right. We want it. We don't want it done to us. Three big points about Jesus. He hardens or he humbles. He purifies, he restores. He bears the cost of sin. I got one last question. Which one do you want? Do you want justice? Or do you want Jesus? Now, I'm not a smart man, but that's an easy one. I'll take the judgment. I'll take the Jesus that bore my judgment so that I 
could be justified before God by faith.